0: The Gentle Euphemia by Anthony Trollope. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Lo, I must tell a tale of chivalry, for large white plumes are dancing in mine eyes. Keats. Chapter 1 Knowledge, so my daughter held, was all in all. Tennyson The gentle Euphemia lived in a castle, and her father was the Count Grand Nostril. The wise Alasco, who had dwelt for fifty years in the mullion chamber of the North Tower, was her tutor, and he taught her poetry, arithmetic, and philosophy, to love virtue and the use of the globes. And there came the Lord of Mount Fidget to her father's halls to drink the blood-red wine and make exchange of the beeves and swine of Mount Fidget against the olives and dried fruits which grow upon the slopes of Grand nostril for the pastures of Mount Fidget are very rich, and its beeves and swine are fat. "'And peradventure I shall see the fair Euphemia,' said the young lord to Lieutenant Hossback of the Marines, who sojourned oft at the grange of Mount Fidget, and delighted more in the racket-court, the billiard-table, and the game of cards, than in guiding the manoeuvres of his trusty men-at-arms. "'Peradventure,' said the young lord, "'I shall see the fair Euphemia,' FOR THE POETS OF GRAND nostrils SING OF HER PEERLESS BEAUTY, AND DECLARE HER TO BE THE PEARL OF PEARLS. NAY, MY LORD, SAID THE LIEUTENANT, BUT AN YOU BEHOLD THE GIRL ONCE IN THAT SPIRIT, THOU ART BUT A LOST MAN, A kestrel WITH A BROKEN WING, A SPAVENED STEED, A NOSELESS hound, A FISH OUT OF WATER, FOR CREDIT ME, THE FAIR EUPHEMIA WANTS BUT A HUSBAND. AND THEREFORE DO THE POETS SING SO LOUDLY, FOR LIEUTENANT HOSPACK KNEW THAT WERE THERE A LADY AT THE GRANGE, THE SPIGOT WOULD NOT TURN SO FREELY. BY MY HALIDOME, SAID THE YOUNG LORD, I WILL KNOW WHETHER THE POETS SING SOOTH OR NOT. SO THE LORD OF MOUNT FIDGET DEPARTED FOR THE CASTLE OF GRAND NOSTRAL, AND HIS BEEVES AND HIS SWINE WERE DRIVEN BEFORE HIM. Alasco the wise sat in the mullion chamber, with the globes before him, and Aristotle's volume under his arm, and the gentle Euphemia sat lowly on a stool at his feet, and she asked him as to the lore of the ancient schools. "'Teach me,' she said, as Plato taught, and the learned Aesculapius and Aristides the just, for I would fain walk in the paths of knowledge, and be guided by the rules of virtue.' But he answered her not at all, nor did he open the books of wisdom. Nay, my father, she said, but the winged hours pass by, and my soul is athirst. Then he answered her, and said, My daughter, there cometh hither this day the young lord of Mount Fidget, whose beeves and swine are as the stars of heaven in number, and whose ready money in many banks brings in rich harvest of interest. He cometh hither to drink the blood-red wine with your father, and to exchange his beeves and swine for the olives and the dried fruits which grow upon the slopes of Grand Nostril, and peradventure he will ask to see thy father's daughter. Then wilt thou no longer desire to hear what Plato teaches, or how the just man did according to justice. But Euphemia replied, Nay, my father, am I no better than other girls, that I should care for the glance of the young man's eye? Have I not sat at your feet since I was but as high as your knee? Teach me still, as Plato taught. But Alasco said, Love will still be lord of all. He shall never be lord of me, said Euphemia. Chapter 2 and from the platform spare ye not to fire a noble salvo-shot. Lord Marmion waits below, Scott. And in those days there was the rinder pest in the land among the cattle, and the swine were plagued with a sore disease, and there had gone forth an edict and a command from the queen's councillors that no beeves or swine should be driven on the queen's highways, So there came upon the lord of Mount Fidget men armed with authority from the queen, and they slew his beeves and his swine, and buried their carcasses twenty fathoms deep beneath the ground. And the young lord was angered much, for he loved his beeves and his swine, and he said to himself, What will my lord the Count Grand Nostril say unto me, if I visit him with empty hands? Will the blood-red wine be poured?' OR SHALL I SEE THE GENTLE EUPHEMIA? FOR THE COUNT GRAND NOSTRAL WAS A HARD MAN, AND LOVED a BARGAIN WELL. BUT I HAVE MUCH MONEY IN MANY BANKS, SAID THE LORD OF MOUNT FIDGET, IN COUNCIL WITH HIMSELF, AND THOUGH MY BEEVES AND MY SWINE ARE slain AND BURIED, YET WILL HE RECEIVE ME, FOR THE RICH ARE EVER WELCOME, THOUGH THEIR HANDS BE EMPTY. SO HE WENT UP THE SLOPES WHICH LED TO THE CASTLE OF GRAND NOSTRAL and at the portal within the safeguard of the drawbridge there were huge heaps of dried fruits and mountains of olives. And there came out to him the Count Grand Nostril, and demanded of him where were his beeves and his swine. And the Lord told the Count how men in authority from the Queen had come upon him on the road, and had slain the beasts and buried them twenty fathom beneath the earth, because of the rinder pest which raged in the land and because of the disease among the swine. Then, said the Count Grand Nostril, and art thou come empty-handed to drink the blood-red wine, and hast thou never a horn or a tusk? If my butler draw but a sorry pint for thee, I'll butler him with a bastinado. No, not a cork. Get thee gone to thy grange so he drew up the drawbridge, and the sweet scent of the olives and of the dried fruits were borne aloft by the zephyrs, and struck upon the envious senses of the young lord. "'And shall I not see thy daughter, the gentle Euphemia?' said he. Then the Count Grand Nostril called to his archers, and bade them twang their bows, and the archers twanged their bows, and seven arrows struck the Lord Mount Fidget full upon his breast, but their points availed naught against his steel curé, so he smiled and turned away. Nay, my lord, Count Grand Nostril, said he, thou shalt rue the day when thou treatest thus one who has ready money in many banks. I will set the lawyers at thee and ruin thee with many costs. Then, as he walked away, the archers twanged again and struck him on the back. The good steel turned the points, and the arrows of Grand Nostril fell blunted to the ground. But I fear there was one arrow which entered just above the joint of the knight's harness and galled the neck of the young lord. But as he went down the slopes, there waved a kerchief from the oriel window over the eastern parapet. Chapter 3 Oh, cuz, 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 my pretty little cuz, Dost know how many fathom deep I am in love? Shakespeare Twas midnight, and there came a soft knock at the door of Alasco the Wise. But Alasco heard it not, for he was drinking in the wisdom of the ancients with all his senses, and his ears were deaf to all earthly sounds. Sleepest thou, my father? said the gentle Euphemia, as she opened the door or is thy soul buried amidst thy books? Daughter, said Alasco the wise, my soul is buried among my books. The hour is short, and the night cometh, and he who maketh not his hay while the sun of life shineth shall hardly garner his crop beneath the cold, damp hand of death. But for thee, my child, in thy needs all other things shall give way. Then he wiped his pen, and put a mark in his book, and closed his lexicon. "'My father,' said the girl, "'didst thou hear my father's archers, how their bows twanged this morn?' "'I heard a rattling as of dried peas against the window-pane,' said the sage. "'It was the noise, father, of the arrows, "'as they fell upon the breast of Lord Mount Fidget, "'and they fell upon his back also, and alack,' ONE HAS STRUCK HIM ON THE NAPE OF HIS NECK, AND THEN HE rode AWAY, O oh, FATHER. AND IS IT THUS WITH THEE, MY CHILD? SAID ALASCO. THUS, FATHER, SAID EUPHEMIA, AND SHE hid HER FACE UPON THE SURGE OF HIS MANTLE. DID I NOT SAY THAT LOVE SHOULD STILL BE LORD OF ALL? SAID THE SAGE. SPARE ME, FATHER, SAID THE DAMSEL. Spare the child that has stood at thy footstool since she was as high as thy knee. Spare me and aid me to save my lord. Then they sallied forth from the small wicket which opens into the forest from beneath the west barbican. Chapter 4 Come back, come back, he cried in grief. My daughter, oh, my daughter! Campbell When he found she'd levanted, the Count of Alsace at first turned remarkably red in the face. Parham. And in the morning the Count of Grand Nostril called for his daughter, and his eyes were red with drinking, and his breath was thick, and he sat with his head between his hands. For he had drunk the blood-red wine sitting all alone through the night, laughing as he quaffed down goblet after goblet at the discomfiture of the lord of Mount Fidget. grinder pest indeed, he had said, he that cometh hither empty-handed is likely to return a dry, ho, there, butler, another stoop of Malvasi, and let it be that with the yellow seal. But in the morning he had called for a cool tankard, and now he demanded his daughter's presence that she might pour for him the cup which cheers but not inebriates. WHERE IS THE LADY EUPHEMIA? WHY TARRIES THE LADY EUPHEMIA? BUT THE ATTENDANTS ANSWERED HIM NEVER A WORD. THEN HE CALLED AGAIN, WHY COMETH NOT MY CHILD TO POUR FOR HER FATHER THE BEVERAGE WHICH HE LOVES? NOW BY COCK AND PIE, AND THAT OLD beard DETAINER, HE SHALL HENCE FROM THE MULLION CHAMBER, AND THAT WITH A FLEA IN HIS EAR. BUT STILL THEY ANSWERED HIM NOT A WORD. Then he up with the tankard from which he had taken his morning's bruised and flung it at the menial's head. Thou churl, thou sot, thou knave, thou clod, why answerest thou not thy liege and lord? But the menial put his hands to his bruised head, and still answered he never a word. Then there entered Dame Ulrica, a poor and aged cousin of the house, Went abroad to dances and to tea parties with the gentle Euphemia. And it please you, my lord count," said Dame Ulrica. "Euphemia has fled this morning by the small wicket which leads from beneath the west barbican into the forest, and Alasco the wise has gone with her. Then the count grand nostrils stood up in his wrath, and sat down in his wrath, and stood up in his wrath once again that tankard full of gold pieces said he to him who shall bring me the gray beard's head then the archers twanged their bows and the men at arms sharpened their sabres and the volunteers looked to their rifles and the drummers drummed and the fifers fifed and they let down the drawbridge and they went forth in pursuit of the wise alasco and the gentle euphemia by cock and pie said the count grand nostril and it be as I expect, and that sorry knave from Mount Fidget is at the bottom of this. In that case it will be meetest, my lord, that she should be his wife, said the dame Ulrica, who was riding on a palfrey at his right hand, and when she spoke the ancient virtue of the old race was to be seen in her eye, and might be heard in her voice. Ay, thou sayest well, dame, answered the count. And the Lord of Mount Fidget has beeves and swine, numerous as the stars, and ready money in many banks," said Dame Ulrica, for Dame Ulrica was not virtuous only, but prudent also. By cock and pie, thou sayest sooth," said the Count Grand Nostril, and as they had now reached the fiery nostril, a hostel that standeth on the hill overlooking the olive gardens of the castle. The Count called loudly for the landlord's ale. "'By cock and pie, this is dry work,' said the Count Grand Nostril. "'But we will squeeze Mount Fidget Dryer before we have done with him.' Then the menials laughed, and the pot-bellied landlord swayed his huge paunch hither and thither as he shook his sides with merriment. "'Faith, and it is my lord the Count, is ever ready with his joke,' said the landlord." so they paid for the beer and rode on. CHAPTER V A breathing but devoted warrior lay, t'was Lars bleeding fast from life away. BYRON In the upper chamber of a small cottage, covered with ivy and vines, lay the lord of Mount Fidget hurt unto death, for one of the arrows had touched him on the nape of the neck, and the point had been dipped in the oil of strychnine and there leaned over his couch a widow watching him from moment to moment, touching his lips ever and anon with orange juice mixed with brandy, and wiping the clammy dew from his cold brow. Lord of Mount Fidget, she said, when my dear husband was torn from my widowed arms, thy father gave unto the poor widow this cottage. Would I could repay the debt with my heart's blood. Aha! alas alack and well-a-day said the young lord naught can repay me now either interest or principal all my money at all the banks cannot prolong my life one hour no nor my beeves and swine though they outnumber the stars of heaven and are fatter than a butter-tub it is all up with poor mount fidget nay say not so my lord if only I could reach the wise man that liveth in the mullion chamber of the North Tower, he hath a medicine that might yet be of avail. Then Mount Fidget demanded who was the wise man, and where was the mullion chamber of the North Tower, and when he learned that aid could be had only from the castle of Grand Nostril, he sighed amain, and sighed again, and then thus he addressed the widow. I help from grand nostril, yes, but not such aid as that. I want no gray-bearded senior to rack my dying brains with wise saws, but if it might be given me to let my eyes rest but once on the form of the gentle euphemia, methinks I could die contented. Then the door of the chamber was opened, and there entered a young page. Whose slashed doublet and silken hose were foul with the mud of many lanes, and the dirt of the forest clung to his short cloak, and his hair was wet with the dropping of the leaves, and his cap was crushed, and his jacket was torn. He is here! He is here! said the page. I have followed him by his blood through the forest. Then the page fell at the bed foot, and there he fainted. Chapter six. Meanwhile, war arose. Milton. But as the page sank upon the floor, a small bottle fell from his breastcoat pocket, and the widow saw that it was labeled Antidote for the Oil of Strychnine. Then the widow's heart leaped for joy, and as she poured the precious drops into the gaping wound, she said a prayer that the page might recover also. But what noise is this of horses and of men around this humble vineyard of the poor widow Tiriloo 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 Oo, ha said the mount fidget raising himself on his elbow tis the war cry of the grand nostral row down dow row dow then greeted his ears ha ha he cried "'Row-de-dow, a uh, routedow, routedow, dow! Tis the war cry of the Mount Fidget, and he grasped the sword which lay beneath his pillow. Mount Fidget to the rescue! Shall a man lie still and perish beneath the bedclothes? Ha! A hossback! Ho! A Walker! For Walker was the captain of the men at arms at Mount Fidget, and the Lord knew the voice of his trusty clansman. Then the widow looked through the lattice window, and told him how the fight went. But no one thought of the page upon whose brow the clammy hand of death was falling as he lay at the bed-foot. CHAPTER Seven. Close against her heaving breast, something in her hand is pressed. Longfellow Alas, go the wise, had been left in the forest, and was unable to stir another step. "'Tis the blood of the Mount Fidget,' he had said, when he saw the gouts upon the path. "'I know it by its purple hue, and by its violet-scented perfume. "'Follow it on, but take that bottle with thee, and stay, lest thy sex betray thee to ill-usage from the boors. Take this page's raiment, which I carry in my wallet, and put the bottle in thy breast-coat pocket.' If thou find, as is too likely, a gaping wound in the nape of the neck, naught can restore him but this. Pour it in freely, and he shall live. But if he shall first have heard the war cry of thy father to disturb him, then he shall surely die. So the gentle Euphemia had gone through the forest, and had reached the chamber of the widow in which lay the lord of Mount Fidget and as she lay at the foot of the bed, slowly there came back upon her mind a knowledge that she was there. She put her hand to her bosom in haste, and found that the bottle was gone. Then a terrible sound greeted her ears, and she heard the war-cry of her father. "'Tirraloo! Tirraloo! "'He is dead!' she cried, springing to her feet. "'He is dead, and I will die also!' Then the widow knew that it was the gentle Euphemia. No, thou gentlest one, she said, he shall not die, he shall live to count the fat beeves and the many swine of Mount Fidget, and shall be the possessor of much money and many banks, and thou, thou gentlest one, shall share his blessings, for love shall still be lord of all. I do confess, said the gentle Euphemia, in a silvern whisper that was heard by him beneath the bedclothes, I do confess that love is lord of me. Then she sank upon the floor. CHAPTER Eight. I charge you, be his faithful and true wife. Keep warm his hearth and clean his board, and when he speaks, be quick in your obedience. ELIZABETH B. BROWNING and then they all returned to the castle of Grand Nostril, and on their way they took up the wise Alasco, who had remained in the forest. Nay, father, said the damsel, smiling, but thou hast been right in all things, and hast taught me better than Plato ever taught. And was not I, young once, myself? said the sage. So when the blood-red wine had warmed his old veins and made supple the joints of his aged legs, he tripped a measure in the castle hall, and was very jocund. So the lord of Mount Fidget was married to the gentle Euphemia, but when three months were passed and gone, Lieutenant Hospack had returned to his regimental duties, and love shall still be lord of all. Anthony Trollope End of The Gentle Euphemia Recording by Arnold Banner, Thurmond, North Carolina.